touch of nostalgia this Christmas on BBC One. Hello, I'm Andrew. Hello, I'm Lisa. And I'm the other one. Welcome to episode 55 of... Round the Archives. Is it the Christmas special, it Lisa? It is the Christmas special, yes. Didn't we do one last year? We did, yes. W- well, it seems to come round quickly again. Well, people will be relieved to know it's not as big as it was last year. Very few things are. Thank you for that. So, lots to fit in. Mm-hmm. So here's you and me looking at... Play School. <laughs> Here's a house, here's a door, windows, one, two, three, four, ready to knock, turn the lock, play school. Happy Christmas Eve, Lisa. (laughs) Happy Christmas Eve, Andrew. I hadn't realised when we picked this episode of Play School Mm -hmm. that the dates would mesh quite so well. Yes. But we'll get to that point. Yes. In a minute. So, Play School. Do you have any memories of watching Play School? I watched it, I'm sure. I don't have any specific memories. Well, apart from the toys. Mm. So, I remember Humpty and um, yeah. and Big Ted and Little Ted and the, the scary dolls. The, the toys don't get much to do in this episode because it is, no. it is Christmas Eve. Yes. And it, it's all tinsel and, and mm-hmm. Christmas, isn't it? And presents yes. and stuff. Yeah. But we start with the the title sequence, mm-hmm. and I hadn't really thought about this before. There's a there's a few weird things about the title sequence. Mm-hmm. It's a house, yes, not a school. So yes. is it meant to be your house? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that you see. Yeah. And I notice it's it's a detached house. Yeah, it's a proper kids' drawing of a house because yeah. it's got four windows and a yeah. front door. Yeah. You know, because we we lived in um, a semi-detached, so we only had three windows at the front. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. never lived in a house that had four windows. We we were semi-detached. I mean, God help you if you lived in a terrace house or a flat. You yeah, know, it's nothing like it. No. Um, but they, it's a knock on the door and you yeah. turn the lock. Yeah. But if you've got the key to the house, why do you need to knock in the first place? Know. Are you breaking in or something? <laughs> you know? Just checking if anybody's there. Yeah, if nobody answers the door, you've nicked the key and you can get in and, and steal the presents. But they do a weird thing with the key because they turn it once yeah. and then they turn it again, which should really lock it again. Yeah. It's so like they unlock it and then relock it because they un they turn the key twice. Wow. But it's Julie Stevens. Mm-hmm. Ex of the Avengers. Yes. And I hadn't realised how much she does for play yeah. school. She's there from A long while. 64 to 73. You're like mm-hmm. 431 episodes Gosh. or something. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you associate Brian Kant with it. Yeah. But not so much not so much Julie, I'd, I'd mm-hmm. have thought. But yeah, so it's Julie Stevens and Brian Kant. Mm-hmm. We start off with Julie. She's hiding the presents. 
<laughs> or trying to. Or trying to, not very well. And no, because br- one of them falls out of the basket. Yeah, but yeah, she, she's got an oatmeal basket that uh, dispenses presents on the floor the, yeah. the moment you sort of tip it sideways. And and Brian's sort of hiding something behind his back as yeah. well, haven't they? And the the studio's quite complicated sort of set dressing, isn't it? There's, there's loads of Christmas cards. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. or so somebody's had to hang that, them up, and then you've got the tree, mm-hmm. which has got that some of that stringy silver tinsel on. Did you have that? Yes, it just used to fall off everywhere. Yeah, and and hanging it up took forever. Yeah, because you you'd sort of flick it over the tree, wouldn't you? Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I I used to I used to be in charge of doing the tree after a while, so okay. I used to festoon it with all this stuff. And yeah, once you'd got rid of the tree for like days after, you'd be picking bits of loose tinsel loose up. stringy tinsel mm. up. It would like go up the Hoover and all that. But we've got the date board turning the handle, and it's Thursday, mm-hmm. December the twenty fourth, yes, nineteen seventy, yes, and. Uh, I think this is episode 1,743. Right. So I might be wrong. I might have got <laughs> my wires crossed on that. But the date th- uh, for Christmas Eve falls exactly the same day this year. as this year, 2020. Yeah, so 50, 50 years, later. years later, the yeah. whole thing's meshed. Yes. And I, I hadn't realised that till yeah. today. But then we cut to Paul, whoever Paul is. Well, he's, he's the pianist. Paul the pianist. He? he doesn't actually get a credit at the end. He does doesn't he? get a credit. He doesn't no. get a surname. No. But he's brought his tubular bells along as yes. well as his piano, hasn't mm-hmm. he? And Brian's having a go on the bells. And they sing a song, Why Do the Bells of Christmas Ring? Mm-hmm. And I don't know how musical Brian Kant is, but he only has two notes to do, doesn't yes. he? You know, ding dong, ding dong. Mm-hmm. What about pianos? Did you have a piano at school? Do you, do you yes. remember? Because I remember school pianos. Yeah, they, they were never in tune, I don't think. Yeah. They, they, we had, they had an upright one in, in the music room yeah. at school. I was so. always a bit scared that the, like, the, the, the cover bit would slam down on your fingers as you were playing. <laughs> I, I, I never learnt a, an instrument at school because no. there were some people that were in the wind band at QE. Okay. Uh, Warren could probably say I could make my own wind band, but... <laughs> You know, I used to know somebody that used to play the cornet. And, okay. you know, if you don't trust me with an ice cream cornet, let alone <laughs> a brass one. But, yeah, anybody that actually had a piano in their house was really, really posh. Yeah. You know, whether it be upright or grand. But, yeah, I, I was never a past master on the cottage upright, you know. Hmm. I mean, that was not my not my thing at all. But Paul has a go on the bells as well, doesn't he? Yes. And then Brian's got to move about. Yes. They always do this, don't they? They do sort of moving about to music. Yeah. I remember at first school doing music and movement. Yeah. It was on the radio. Mm-hmm. And they used to wheel out this radio with, with a sort of wooden surround and turn mm-hmm. it on and you'd wait for it to tune up and you'd have to put your plimp soles on and then then adopt strange positions in time to the music <laughs> and poor old brian he's having to go up and down and up and down yeah. and you said he's going to do himself a damage in a minute yeah, isn't he? He, he ends up doing it quite fast doesn't yeah. he yeah you're meant so. to be doing this at home but yes he keeps ending up with his foot in the air doesn't yeah. he and, yeah, and I, he does these sort of footsteps thing doesn't I, he? i'd be arse over tit at this point <laughs> you know but i'd be flailing about then uh, Julie gets her oranges out, doesn't she? Yes. Yeah, they're not even tangerines or satsumas. <laughs> no, there's good big oranges. Yeah. Yeah. And she's got her nuts and her dates on show yeah. as well, hasn't she? Yeah. Do you remember dates at Christmas? Yes. And and the bag of nuts that nobody ever ate the sort of 
It's not walnuts. What's the word? They're not Brazils. The ones are they Brazils in the long? I don't know. I don't know what shape you're making. Difficult sort of. Difficult nuts. Difficult nuts to open because the (laughs) shell would ping everywhere, and then the nut would ping off, and you'd be like, "Oh, where's that gone?" Yeah, but she she lets us into the secret that Brian's present is a key ring, Mm. and I said, "No expense spent this year, then, love, is it?" (laughs) You know. Then we cut to the clock. And it's nine o'clock. Yes. And this isn't the clock I remember from play school. This is a great big tall sort of skinny thing mm-hmm. with revolving plastic. So they're like leaves they at the back like of it that yeah. go round. Yeah. And it looks hideously complicated. And mm-hmm. I can't help thinking that must have broken down a lot during recording. And there's there's some presents at the bottom of the thing going round. Well, you say presents, I say empty boxes. Empty boxes, yeah. And, and I, I thought, I don't know what the scale is, but I think they're really, really small. <laughs> So then the sort of highlight of the episode is we get a rendition of the 12 days of Christmas. Because mm-hmm. apparently a man wanted to give a lady something very special every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 12 days. I know men like that. Um, <laughs> and that they, you know, they go through the whole song. Do you remember the first time you encountered this song? Not really. No, because no. I've th- I got a vague memory of sort of singing it one year at, at school and it would have mm-hmm. been first school mm-hmm. and not really knowing the words after about nine no because it get it gets increasingly complicated yeah it gets up to sort of yeah after you've got all the the drummers drumming and mm-hmm. the lords leaping about i can never remember the damn order even now mm-hmm. well of course you have to sing five gold rings really lovely uh, yeah, as it, per russell yeah, t davis yeah and uh, all together now five gold rings yeah <laughs> but Brian comes on. Yeah. And most of the things are cardboard representations. Yes, aren't they? they don't bring me like real pheasants. And yeah. Not pheasants. Pheasants. <laughs> what version are you singing? No are you bringing in roadkill? Partridges. All right, that's the one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they've sort of had to fiddle with the re- rendition a bit and expect, extend it with twiddly bits to allow Julie to walk back and forth on the set and put yep. all the stuff in position. Mm-hmm. Brian brings on the five gold rings yes. and one drops on the floor because yeah. there's a dirty great clonk because yes. he's, he's got them in his hand Yes. and then they've, they've fudged it by doing a sort of close-up shot of him putting mm. the, the rings on her fingers and suddenly there are five. And I want to know how the ma- mathematics of this song works. Mm-hmm. Did she get, well she got five gold rings on the fifth day, Yeah. but does she get five gold rings on the sixth day as well because you normally do the six, five, four, three, two, one. Yeah. So d- does she end up with like forty gold rings no, by the end of the end song? No, you end up getting loads of gold rings. You just get she gets five gold rings on, on day the fifth five, day and that's it. Because on day six, on day six she gets whatever you get. Whatever you get. But six. then usually you sing that you get five gold yeah, but rings as well. It's just a repeating well. thing, isn't okay, it? Yeah. So. Didn't know like like she was drowning in rings <laughs> by the end of it. Yeah, eight maids are waiting. It suddenly becomes as well. Yes. They started off milking, yeah. and no, by the end waiting. of the song, they just they're just waiting. And I don't know if they didn't notice that this could be more to start the whole thing again. No, I think somebody's gone. We are not going for a retake after getting through all of that. Yeah. You know. Then the window, mm-hmm. and today it's the the round window, yes. which I said was always the best window. Never liked the arched window. That seemed like a cop out when you couldn't think of a third shape. Right. You know, I can understand a round window and a square window, but who's got who's got an arched window? in their house people that live in posh houses and then we cut to a farm on film with some mm-hmm. terribly wooden acting <laughs> as a, a lady says I'm just going into the village to buy some things look after the animals won't you 
to to some I feed them to some farm child. <laughs> and another like the way she just says, "I'm going to buy some things." Yes. Not specific. No. Hasn't got a clue. No. So she toddles up well, off the road in the, the Land Rover TMA nine two six D, which is smoking like Billy out of it out of its end. Yes. And I, I thought she she needs her exhaust pipe riddled because it's smoking like mad. But a little bit of research tells me that TMA 926D is a Land Rover first registered in November 1966. So at this point it's only four years old. Mm -hmm. But because it's diesel it's just smoking. Its last logbook was issued on the 25th of March 1981 and its tax was due on the 1st of March 1983 and it is currently listed as untaxed with no MOT. (laughs) So... So it's it, it, it's either been scrapped or is like rusting in a hedge somewhere. I don't know, which seems very sad. And we get the kids feeding the cattle, and yeah. I bet they wouldn't normally do that if they weren't being filmed. They yeah, they just not. they just go off in the woods and play with their conkers or something. You know? <laughs> but we get some box of delights music, don't yes. we? Well, it's the music used for box use, of delights. Use for bo- box yeah. of delights. There's only five cows, so it's not the biggest farm in no. the world. And we go off to the village shop, yes. which is definitely a local shop for local people isn't it <laughs> yes. and we get to look at some pottery cows and horses a hairy card mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> it's a card with like a, a furry thing on it, it. Yeah. yeah a koala bear mm-hmm. and the kid's fascinated by the car horn isn't mm-hmm. it it's one of those big curly horns yeah. with a rubber bowl the honk honk ones yeah and the inevitable ship in a bottle yes the presents they get actually end up being wrapped. Yes. Now I don't know whether the shop actually did this for them because mm-hmm. you said you'd pay more for that, wouldn't yes, you? Yes, you could. You could get presents wrapped, but you, you'd have to pay for them yeah. to be wrapped and wait while they're wrapped on, obviously. Yeah. Or whether they just like brought some boxes along just for the filming. Yeah. I suspect it's probably that. Because mm-hmm. I don't know who these people are. There's no explanation about what no. relationship they have to the production team or, <laughs> or anything. I really don't know. So yeah, they come back and all the kids come out sort of wade through the the mud, the mud <laughs> to, yeah. to get the presents doesn't one of them drop something I in think the mud? so yeah. have to pick you up again yeah. Yeah. Mm. so we're back in studio so Brian and the toys who are apparently excited but I can't tell no they look excited from their usual expressions doing some rapping uh, who's the best toy uh, it's either got to be Big Ted or Little Ted or possibly Humpty you're not so keen on the dolls, no, are you? No, Hamble just looks really scary and her face is filthy. Yeah, Hamble's face. I think they've taken her on location to the farm because she wanted to go and somebody's dropped her in the cow shite because it is <laughs> what their cheek. I mean, they've turned it away from camera, yeah. but, you know, g- give the poor thing a wash, for yeah, God's sake. wash your face. Get your flannel out or something. You know, <laughs> Brian, spit on her with your anky or something. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, J- Jemima's been on the sherry because she nearly falls over oh, at yeah, one point. Oh, yeah, but ragdolls never sit up. But, yeah, I just wrote Hamble Scabby. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Isn't It Grand It's Half a Day Till Christmas is, mm-hmm. is the next song. There's a lot of singing in this. Oh, there is. Singing, yes. Eventually, the toys end up in the cupboard. Yep. Don't know what they get up to in there. They go know. to sleep. Do they? Oh, All right, okay. <laughs> I imagine them like sort of um, ha- having parties at night, you know, and k- keeping everybody up. The advice they give you is: the earlier you go to sleep, the sooner tomorrow will come. Which is, not, as you said, not an ex- excuse to be up at four o'clock in the morning. Yes. How early did you used to get? Oh, quite up? early. Get told go to back to bed. Yeah, it's not it's too early yet. It's not ready yet. It's not been yet. <laughs> but yeah, um, we'll see you tomorrow as well, yeah. because there is an episode on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Amazing. 
Oh, don't forget to hang up your Christmas stocking. I've never had a Christmas stocking. Did, no? Did no, you not? No. Did you have a sack? Might have had a pillowcase, yeah, but... Right. Yeah. Well, a spare one? Probably, I can't remember. Or did you have to go without a pillow that, no, that no, night? No, 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 it would have been yeah. a spare one. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I never I never got, like, nuts and things like that. Nuts and, and tangerines nuts, and Nuts and may. <laughs> So. Did you used to get a selection box or anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cho- chocolate, chocolate, and, yeah. um, sort of annuals. Because we've got we've like got an advent calendar which is Haribo yes, this year. We haven't I, opened it yet. I'm, I'm fed up with horrible, horrible chocolate. Yeah. Well, that's because you don't buy decent chocolate. Mm, all right. <laughs> Should point out we're recording this on the first day of Christmas. Well, we're not. It's not the first day of Christmas. It's the first of December. Yes. 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 Christmas is still a few weeks away. Yeah. But I'm overexcited already. Oh, gosh. Yeah, like like Jemima. So we the end credits roll. Mm-hmm. And uh, scripted and directed by Anne Gobi, series producer Cynthia Felgate, and produced by Peter Ridsdale-Scott of Emu fame. He's done a lot of good work. Yes. So there we are. There's uh, Christmas Eve with Play School. Mm-hmm. And would you have been excited as a kid if you were, like, five watching this? Well... Yeah, I would point out I wasn't actually born in nineteen. You were not born, and I was two. So yes. So I'm not sure I would have seen it. No, but yeah, I I would have been excited by Christmas Eve when I was five. Yeah, yeah. 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 And would you have gone to bed early? Possibly. Yeah. Can't I remember. I don't know. Yeah. yeah my only tale, and I might have told this before, is that we, one Christmas Eve, we were driving home and we saw a light on the horizon. Mm-hmm. My parents told me that that was Father Christmas. Mm. He, he was coming round and he was visiting the farms, you know, locally already. When we got home, I rushed up to bed and didn't have a, a story that night. <laughs> Normally I'd have to have a story, but because I'd saw Father Christmas in his light on the horizon, he must have been really close. So <laughs> I had to screw my eyes up and pretend I was asleep, just in case. Aww. So there you go. There's Play School. Mm-hmm. We'll be back again later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for helping with that, Lisa. That's all right. Thank you for helping, Andrew. You were saying about the 12 days of Christmas, weren't you? I was, because I, I seem to have heard this song an awful lot since the recording of the article. Yeah. Because we've got Christmas music at work. And every time it gets to Anna Partridge in a pear tree, I think of Alan Partridge in this Christmas special. Because it is Anna Partridge in a pear tree. That's me. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. A partridge in a pear tree On the second day of Christmas My true love gave to me Two turtle doves And a partridge in a pear tree That's me Right, coming up next We've Mm -hmm. got Martin Talking about Christmas in general Yes And Ben Baker Who may just have a new book out So we'll run those together Yes But before we do that Yes I want to get back to your difficult nuts, Lisa Right because you couldn't quite work out what they were. No. So they weren't almonds, were they? No. No. And so what are they? Acorns? I'm not piglet. Oh. Well, what do you think they are then? I think they're just Brazils. Cain's just Brazils. The most Brazil Brazils of all. You give them a costume lover. 
As it's the season for festive thoughts, fun, frolics, loud jumpers, reindeer and jolly fat men blocking your flu, I've been giving some thought to the small matter of the Christmassy television that I remember from when I was younger. And, as ever, with this old roomy-eyed viewer, it's never quite as straightforward a question as you might think. We are living in very peculiar times, of course, where one of the great traditions is for families to gather around a glowing screen, these days not necessarily the same glowing screen, of course, and consume the very best it says here, that our broadcasters have to offer us when it comes to Christmas telly. Well, do they? Is it not often simply a matter of churning out the same old tat, albeit with the odd sprig of holly or ratty bit of tinsel sellotaped to the fridge, and an extra ten minutes of dialogue that would never have made a standard cut just to persuade us all that we're watching a festive special? Sometimes a new definition of the word special that we hadn't previously come across. Familiar characters suddenly wearing pullovers and headgear that they would never countenance in any other episode and discovering long-lost relatives that they can sentimentalise over before never bothering to see them again. Or heading off on some quite out-of-character holiday to an exotic location simply because they've been given more money in the budget to play with and the production team fancy a bit of a break from filming in the cold and the wet of the home counties. Because you know they film all of these things in June, don't you? Miss Marple, you know I'm looking at you. Oh, don't give me that but-it's-in-the-book nonsense, Missy. Hmm. Considering how some viewers apparently still assume that some of the shows are real and are happening right now, perhaps the they film it in June thing does come as something of a surprise to many. Not our discerning listeners, of course, but definitely some. The extended Christmas special has a long tradition on British television and, like the trapped lemmings we are, we fall for it every time. Even if the programmes themselves are often not the very best that the series might have to offer us, they can end up being the most watched episodes of the show and possibly give viewers who'd normally cross motorways to avoid them a chance to see just what all the fuss is about. After all, it's usually the most popular series that get the festive special pride of place in the schedule slots. And the rest of television sometimes has to hang around till well beyond Boxing Day to give us their now suddenly slightly stale-seeming vision of the Christmas experience, or even quite often last year's version, because there wasn't room amidst those heavy hitters for their offering. And so, predictably, midwives are called, abbeys are downtoned, and boys are Mrs Browned, immediately confirming their status as the most loved and most watched, even if some of us are now on the opposite hard shoulder, wondering quite how to clamber up the embankment and find something else to watch. Christmas often begins with the ritual of going through the year's squeaky new television magazine of choice and circling it with vandals' pens in order to pick out the highlights. In recent years, this has often been accompanied with the brand new ritual of bellowing, there's really nothing worth watching, I don't know why we bother buying this thing, although maybe that's just me. Certainly those now significant book-priced copies have often remained unmarked at Holmes Towers in recent Christmas seasons, although the Christmas RT does still get added to the pile of others that I've hung on to since 1975. This means that Christmas has become the season when those slowly rotting shiny discs are taken down off the shelf and dusted down and, and we start making up our own schedules. Or when, if you're lucky enough, that shiny new box set is taken out of the cellophane and devoured almost as voraciously as that carcass of roast beast was just a few short hours earlier. But it wasn't always this way. Before the coming of the multi-channel, multi-platform, everyone watched for themselves televisual landscape, there was Christmas telly, and Christmas telly was often watched with an entire extended family gathered round one glowing cathode ray tube, nattering away and hardly hearing a word whilst drowning out the best jokes with a round of shush, I'm trying to hear, because you really wanted to share the best collective moments once you went back to work or school next week. Considering how telly-obsessed I became over the years, it might be surprising to some of you to just how little the telly featured in our family's festive schedule. Most years when I was growing up, we went over to my grandparents' house for Christmas Day, 
a relief in later years when it was only for the day itself, after a few years of being there forever over Christmas. And they pretty much had a rule of no television when you've got guests, which still makes me twitch a little when a set is switched on and I'm in somebody else's house. There was only one exception, and that was Her Madge, who would get tuned into, always on the BBC, about five minutes before she was due to utter that year's pronouncements. And I would get a tantalising glimpse of the annual Christmas Top of the Pops party that everyone else got to rave about, but which we could never see. Even my grandmother would emerge from kitchen duties so that all of her gravy, sausage and turkey wrangling in the kitchen would cease for the duration. I learned to block out the annual message somehow, of course. La 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 la. And in later years, until I was once again at the mercy of other people's remote controls, was able to make my excuses and avoid this ritual. Perhaps this seems ungracious of me, and maybe it is. After all, if her madge wanted to address us mere mortals from on high once a year, the least I could do was have a listen to what she had to say, even if most of it could have been gleaned from keeping even half an eye on the year's new output from the more sycophantic of correspondence. But it really wasn't for me. I do remember a big deal being made one year about a televised run of the Flying Scotsman, a steam train kids, not a kilted superhero, that I watched in glorious black and white on their set in the corner of the dining room. But I'm reliably informed that this would have been a Boxing Day treat and, because it would have been something my grandfather really, really wanted to see, a perfectly acceptable way to pass some time, despite their guests. Anyway, on any year when our visit didn't extend beyond the great day itself, once crackers were pulled and washing had been upped, it was just a question of waiting for that terrifying journey homewards, perched upon my unseat-belted grandmother's knee, and the endless, endless round of farewells before we'd be back in our own living room, and finally, finally, the telly could be switched on and warm up, and we'd get our evening of Mike Yarwood or Morecambe and Wise. And yes, I do remember us sitting there watching that record-breaking Morecambe and Wise show, and yes, as a family, we did sit there and howl with laughter all together. Later years would bring huge changes, of course, brought on by ageing and ill health, and so the locations and the numbers of people around would change, but this attitude towards the evils of distracting screens did not. And so it wasn't until much later that I could have control of my own Christmas Day viewing, and by then, of course, my own choices were already starting to deviate slightly from what was the national fare of choice. Also by then, of course, there'd been the coming of the mighty VHS machine into all our lives, and, like many similarly-minded folk, one of the great joys of Christmas was the ritual buying of the multi-packs of blank tapes as you went round the supermarket grabbing all those mince pies and sausage rolls and what have you that the Christmas season demands that you simply cannot live without, and Christmas will be totally ruined if you reach out to your hand and somehow fail to find your every culinary desire within an arm's reach. Back then, of course, there was plenty worth taping. Yours to own forever on videotape. Forever, here being defined as... Just as long as this format is the most current and players are widely available and the tape doesn't start to rot. Let's say about ten years. And so, the tapes would fill up with big exciting movies that I'd mostly buy later on DVD and strange New Year's Eve's programmes that I'd watch with a hangover and probably never actually see again despite refusing to tape over them. Clive James on, whatever year it was and unmissable Christmas viewing of things like Only Fools and Horses that I would find amazing, but somehow never quite get around to actually bothering to watch again. So what of the Christmas special episode in the modern era? Certainly, 
As mainstream terrestrial broadcasting diminishes in its impact, the Christmas special episode has kind of lost its impact, even if they're still being made and grabbing those headlines. But there is a certain weirdness in the age of the binge watch, where the schedule's Christmas episode will suddenly pop up even if you're working your way through a series at the height of summer. And, to be honest with you, I can never quite get the hang of watching all of the fake snow, multitudinous Santa Claus outfits being worn, and sweet saccharine sentimentality being spouted by otherwise hardened cynical detective types, just because because it's Christmas at any other time of the year other than Christmas. Mind you, I might be the exception. At the time of writing, very early in November, already the news is telling us about families who've put their decorations up in order to have a bit of joy in their bleak lives as we dive into another lockdown, and whilst I might roll my eyes at the ridiculousness of that, you can sort of understand it, even if you wonder whether they'll be utterly sick of them by the time the big day itself rolls round. And do not get me started on adults bleating on about the number of sleeps to go. Honestly, the infantilization of society and... Breathe. Interestingly, I do have a kind of strange fascination with the American TV idea of a Christmas episode of any and all of their long-running series. Quite often you would only know it because there are a few decorations scattered round in otherwise drab and dreary offices that normally do all they can to uphold the myth of the corporate dream. And that's fair enough, I suppose. After all, in a workplace-driven society, a lot of people's experience of the festive season is basically much the same as every other time of the year, but with added bits of shrubbery, tinsel and twinkly lights, perhaps with the odd dash of alarming headgear and other clothing choices, and perhaps the odd night knocking back too much alcohol in a bar you'd normally never go to with people you'd rather not be forced to spend any more time with than you absolutely have to. But work life in Tellyland is very different. Not least because a telly Christmas is really the idea of an ideal sentimentalised American Christmas with lots of stuff being bought and once that commercialism is out of the way, lots and lots of the sorts of values on display that seldom manage to manifest themselves otherwise throughout the rest of the year. It's not for nothing that some people really don't believe Christmas has truly begun until they've spotted the first of those heavily festooned soft drinks lorries belting round the countryside in those adverts. Holidays are coming, holidays are coming. Mind We've got in on that particular act in recent years too, with a lot of people and newspapers giving far too much of their time and energy in analysing the latest round of expensive seasonal supermarket adverts which seem to get more attention than the actual programmes these days. Meanwhile, back in those TV dramas, I've lost track of the number of times that otherwise hard-bitten cynics, who are usually quite respectable really, suddenly display an uncharacteristic softer side and God help us crack a smile or shed an artistic tear just because of some peculiar office interaction or event that would otherwise have them growling into their disposable coffee cup. I'm looking at you, Agent Gibbs. I've also lost track of the number of abandoned or lost babies that somehow trigger an allegory of the nativity scene before being miraculously reunited with someone or other. The sudden miracle of the money to instantly resolve far more long-standing problems or the wailing of a mournful melodious retake on a Christmas classic haunting the soundtrack just to cause a lump in the throat or for grown adults to suddenly find that they have something in their eye. So often there is bonding where before there was none and the sacred holy notion of the American family, mom and apple pie, even a workplace family where everybody on the credits really has nowhere better to be on Christmas Eve gets a leg up, even amongst the most dedicated professionals for whom normally neither snow, nor sleep, nor hail, nor character actor in a red suit and unconvincing beard would prevent them from doing their jobs. 
And then there are the orphans, always oh, the bloody orphans, or the sudden unexpected reunions, or that moment when, despite nobody having a free moment, a cast member will cross continents on suddenly available flights to be with the people it was impossible to be with not 30 minutes earlier, or despite all of the shops being closed, beautifully wrapped gifts magically appear. Of course, like almost everybody, I'm an absolute sucker for this stuff. And yet I still have my favourites, even if, in these oh-so-busy times, it's getting increasingly difficult to find the time to sit down and watch those old favourites, like Too Many Christmas Trees, uh, The Blue Carbuncle, and those Baz and Nide Sherlock Holmes films that just seem so very appropriate when the fire is lit and it's cold and dark outside. And there's rarely time amongst all the Grinches and Arthur Christmases and Fred Clauses and wonderful lives that simply have to be watched to settle down with my personal favourite adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, featuring Patrick Stewart in the role of Ebenezer Scrooge. That one seasonal tale bound to melt the hardest of hearts, even though I do have a soft spot for pre-transformation Scrooge, as I've said before, and which has possibly inspired, alongside that trip to Potterville via Bedford Falls, more Christmas TV episodes of things than any other Christmas story. Speaking of which, if I'm lucky and I have three quarters of an hour to spare, I might just cram in Blackadder's Christmas Carol, but despite its excellent pedigree and the fact that I do love it so, it's just not the same thing at all. Strangely, the best Christmas ever. And yes, for about the first ten years, I was utterly addicted to EastEnders. Shudder. The best Christmas ever was actually one of the two I spent alone in my little flat after the great breakup of 92 and the years my mother chose to spend away from home with her grandchildren and my sister, far too far, far away for me to be bothered driving down there once work packed up for the festive season. Honestly, cooking yourself a huge Christmas dinner with all of the trimmings whilst nursing the hangover you got after entertaining a few folk with a dinner party on Christmas Eve is highly recommended. But it was the fact that I could choose my own telly that made it special. You see, that was the year that BBC Two put its three-part arena documentary on Orson Welles on TV on Christmas morning. And so all of the washing up and all of the food preparation was done in the company of a great documentary about a great filmmaker without anybody at all kicking off about how dull it was or that I needed to be somewhere else or doing something else or simply nattering away throughout it whilst I was trying to listen. And despite the otherwise probably quite bleak-looking appearance of my life back then, that remains a glorious glorious shining memory. Sad? Moi? No, not really. But, like for many, my own Christmases have changed from what they were back then. For many years I was far too busy to be watching TV as there were logistical reasons to be dashing about all over the place for the bulk of Christmas Day, and so much of the day itself would often involve parking my mum in front of an episode of Inspector Morse that she'd missed, whilst I tried to light the fire, make her coffee and create our lunch, and in later years still it was often late in the evening before I'd be back home with my own dear beloved and play the annual guessing game of whether the DVR had actually bothered recording that year's Doctor Who Christmas special. Things change. We hang on to these small traditions as if they're carved out of stone, even if they're only traditions because we did them once before and that was only last year. And for a great many of us, this year is going to be so different because of our own personal situation. And I hardly imagine that, given the national and international situation, much of what might have been expected to fill our screens might not be there. And for once, even the broadcasters might be ferreting around trying to find things to entertain the masses as our digestive systems wheeze and groan with the excesses of the day. But there's always something on, even if it's last year's something. 
And if you haven't got heartily sick of the festive films that have been available on all those streaming platforms of choice since Halloween night, maybe this is the year that people will rediscover the simple delights of conversation, gathering round the old pianola to have a jaunty, if Inspector Jap alarming, sing-along. Or perhaps just enjoy spending time in each other's company. Now they'll put the telly on like always. After all, there's always something worth watching at Christmas time, isn't there? If not, do like we do and grab the DVDs from an era when there was. Happy Christmas. Now we go live to Keithley for Ben Baker's now traditional festive shilling of his latest Christmas TV book. Cue the music. What? What? what, what no, 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 no. Cut, cut the music. Cut, cut the music. I'm, I'm not doing them this year. I'm not. Look, look. After writing last year's Christmas was better in the 80s, I convinced myself that I'd absolutely exhausted the topic of festive telly. I mean, sure there was plenty to talk about from the 70s, but my lack of being born in that decade might prove a hindrance on the whole personal context front. As for the 90s, a decade where I was rarely far away from a blaring convex screen, there didn't really seem to be much of a story to talk about, outside everything becoming more rubbish. I mean, you'd have to be some sort of idiot to try and write a book about that. Excuse me a second. Hello, yes? 2020 a massive disaster, you say? Everyone confined to their homes? And looking for any distraction from their awful, awful lives? One moment, please. <coughs> so, as I was saying, my new book, I Was Bored on Christmas Day, 90s Christmas Telly from Anton Deck to Zig and Zag, is out now. In it, I tell the story of the 90s through the TV we watched and the people who made it. It's my kiss under the mistletoe with the shows that defined a nation and a cheeky fumble with the things that fell through the cracks. It was an era where we said, eh-oh, to the Teletubbies and goodbye to the Trotters. Noel Edmonds was bleeding everywhere and people nervously waited out the millennium and the end of times it would inevitably bring. Bleep bloop, now I explode! This was the 90s. And it feels like it only happened two minutes ago, and yet simultaneously, an entire lifetime ago. The decade was a weird middle ground where mobile phones, the internet and DVDs were becoming an affordable reality, yet existed in a world where bamboozle on teletext, the fun facts and VHS cassette labels marked in red ink, Mum's tape, soldier soldier, do not touch, were still a regular sight in many homes where forgotten stars in day-glow clothing could stand less than two feet from an audience and cough openly into their faces, without so much as a vaguely written warning statement on some green and yellow signage. Programmes like Bad Influence and The Net used to tease an astonishing technological future, whilst Saturday Night Clive, Manhattan Cable and the United States of Television with the wonderful Laura Keitlinger opened the stained velvet curtains to a wider world of telly. All of it cheap invariably bonkers, and slash or featuring a parade of nude bums. Arbiters of taste and culture railed against these changes and warned that more television would actually be a bad thing for us and that these new companies wouldn't be able to sustain the quality of the traditional terrestrial channels. <laughs> As if. 
At the start of the 90s, terrestrial telly was where all the actually good stuff lived, with no shortage of drama, comedy, quiz and entertainment formats to drag in the viewers, even if it did mean you might end up seeing duelling David Jasons on several channels at once. As I entered my pre-teens, BBC2 and Channel 4 were rich playgrounds of interesting ideas, new faces, challenging concepts and comedy that felt totally different to anything that came before, much of it influenced by the speed at which the decade was hurtling on. And yet, along the way, something went wrong. Maybe it was the all-encompassing millennium on the horizon, or the uncertain times that came with the expensive switch to digital television, and its initial audience that could fit in a mini-metro with plenty of legroom to spare. Others might blame the deregulation which meant households no longer had to buy both the radio and TV times, leading to a rise of cheapo, no-frills magazines like What's On TV, TV Quick, TV right bleeding fast, TV oh, too late you just missed it, and TV much slower now after the pills doctor, flooding the newsagent's shelves. For some it went wrong when some devious bidding wars designed by the outgoing Thatcher government meant the loss of many favourite ITV regions as December 92 became January 93, with TVS losing to Meridian, TSW to West Country, TVM to GMTV, and perhaps the biggest shock of all, Thames Television being outbid by 10 million from the deep pockets of Carlton Television, who would use this as a base to expand into all other ITV stations they could get their mitts on, creating an amorphous blob that is the current ITV PLC. The IBA was abolished and replaced with a less strict ITC, and suddenly it became about how much money you had, not the quality of programming. Executives realised that it was cheaper to point a camera at members of the public rather than take a risk on untested new programming. BBC Two and Channel Four became obsessed with a food, property market and renovation culture that to this day still dominates their schedules, whilst BBC One and ITV seem to struggle to find new plans for the next Only Fools and Horses or Inspector Morse, and even the few new hits of the time were soon besieged by copycat programmes, often on the same channel. And for many, it was when Channel 5... Uh, just, just, just Channel 5, really. I've tried to cover all this and much more in my new book, which is equally full of interesting facts and very stupid jokes. Programmes featured include... The Generation Game, Bernard and the Genie, Des O'Connor Tonight, Stella Street, Teletubbies, Newman and Bedeal Christmas in Pieces, The Ghosts of Oxford Street, Maid Marian and Her Merry Men, TFI Friday, Men Behaving Badly, Auntie's Bloomers, 2.4 Children, Stars in Their Eyes, Light Lunch, Dinner Ladies, Beavis and Butthead, Father Ted, Gladiators, The Flint Street Nativity and The Wizard of Oz on Ice. No, not really. Plus there's star names in there like Take That, Madonna, Harry Hill, Quentin Crisp, Lenny Henry, Mrs Merton, Willie Carson, Adam and Joe, Johnny Vegas, Rory Bremner, Ed the Bleeding Duck, Mr Blobby, Lulu, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Parky and the Spice Girls. And yet, despite all that's changed, we still come together at Christmas. Granted in 2020 it might be via one of those big bubble things like John Travolta wore in that film, or shouting to Uncle Pat that he's on mute every three minutes, but nevertheless, the seasonal period remains the one time a year everyone still tries to make the effort and spends time with the people they love. And if this year it means being able to watch the box without an elderly relative muttering every ten minutes, telly was better in my day. Bring back the Dell Boy! Or, when's Hardwick House on? Then, well, 
So be it. Has all this got you feeling nostalgic? Good. Let's escape the present together, shall we? Your pal, Ben Baker, 37 feet below sea base, uptown. Mum, pass the global hypercolor t-shirt and the twist and squeeze, will ya? Thank you again to Martin and to Ben. Yes, thank you, boys. They've both been very busy. They have. As they've got lots of stuff out for Christmas. They have. Ben, of course, on Don't Let's Chart, as well as his book. Mm -hmm. And Martin on an A to Z of UK TV drama. And Vision on Sound. All of which were worth investigating. Oh, yes, indeed. And now Paul and Nick arrive Mm -hmm. to talk about, well, let's just say their surprise Christmas presents. Hello, Round the Archives people. It's me, Paul, Paul the Shayetti. How are you doing? I'm back again, and I've got Nick Goodman with me. Uh, yeah, hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi. This, this is our little article for the December 2020 um, edition of Around the Archives. Um, well, the listeners... Because it's Christmas! <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and um, we, I thought it would be quite fun if uh, we sort of uh, did an article where we kind of gave, gave each other a gift, as it were, in that we are going to talk about two different... TV shows that are sort of of this period of the year, sort of festive. I don't know what you're going to talk about, and you don't know what I'm going to talk about. But uh, indeed, that's an awful fun, isn't uh, it? So <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a case of unwrapping it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, I just hope you won't be disappointed. Oh, I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I will. I've tried to go for something a little bit different and obscure. Yeah, I think not not something that we talk about every, every all the time. Yeah, I think yeah, I've 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 done the same thing. So, well, would you like to go first? Yes. Um now, I I thought long and hard about this and there, there was a few uh, things that went by the wayside. Um but the, my choice for Christmas viewing as it were on the, uh, for this article is EBC1 mm-hmm. uh, that is Emu's broadcasting company the uh, 1970s program vehicle for Rod Hall and Emu um, and this was the uh, the one they did for the Beeb. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not quite sure how many they, series they did for the Beeb, but mm-hmm. it was just, uh, from 75 it says 75 to 80 but I don't remember the last season at all I was I was a fan uh, of it at, at the time. It was a fun show. Um, I Ross and Emu were kind of a bit um, like Marmite. You know, <laughs> there's so many people, even from my my generation, that sort of some equal amount seem to love them and loathe them. Mm. Um, 
so the, the, the other I've it's only really when I sat down and watched this episode this week do I really you know I kind of defined my own sort of feelings about them I I think I do like them and I I always have mm. um I would not argue with any I, anyone who didn't like them because I can see why they're not liked and also I wouldn't really give an argument to anyone who said that they were a one joke wonder um because they are but um this is me give me a little bit of background yeah. to start with mm. but um i i feel that um what sells it is the fact that rod hull is such a a, a sort of comedically hapless a very good uh, man and very physical comedy. Uh, he's a very good physical comedian, and he sells the whole calamity of Emu quite quite so well. Mm. And I think uh, I, a bit a bit like Vic, Vic and Bob. I, th- I I I like them, but um, they need to be in the right vehicle. Mm. Um, I think later on and maybe a little bit before the vehicles for Emu were. Um, inappropriately twee you know the, the, uh, the mm. pink, pink minwill always seemed to be a bit aimed too much at kids you know with, uh, uh, considering how dark he is you know he could yeah. attack people if you, you, you see him on the michael parkinson show attacking people and then yeah. we're supposed to accept this sort of fantasy world where he's the hero and and it's all very gooey eyed uh, you know actually there's a there's a tonal well you know there's a world of difference between that that in tones um, and I don't think that the creation is quite that flexible. However, EBC One um, was something I very much um, kind of reveled in, in uh, when it came out because I'd always had um, a fantasy of creating my own TV channel uh, that I had power over. Um, and of course, this was my ongoing fantasy when I was a kid, which created the Magnet Editor, uh, the Mr. Payne series, all the all the sort of and fake programs I had which came to life in the uh, playground and um, this was that fantasy um, come true because it, the the joke was it was very much a tin pot set, set up um, you had Rod Hull being the, the helmsman of course and Emu kind of messing around with the controls uh, you had Billy Dainty the very talented Billy Dainty uh, as the straight man who played the mechanic and the, or the engineer and Barbara knew to, as I say two great troopers uh, who was the Betty the Tea Lady. And between them, they all played all the parts in all the TV shows that were there. And I can't help... Uh, the other thing that was reminded me of when I watched it was um, Sutton, uh, Sutton Park, uh-huh. you know, with your own, uh, you know, kind of... And especially when Rod Hull, Rod Hull sort of turns to the camera at the beginning and goes, I feel it! <laughs> kind of like a sort of squeaky version of yourself. Um, and uh, and this whole Tim Pot kind of, you know, sort of, this is the, you know, being scared of it's like Tim Pot monsters or, you know, and the same people playing the same part. You know, it's like uh, Billy Dainty sort of plays is very much a Lee Freeman character in, in, in it because he, he has all these different disguises and things like that. And again, marvellous physical comedian. And uh, this is a Christmas, unsurprisingly, this is a Christmas 1976 edition. I think it went out on the 17th of December. I think I, I did a little bit of research. Um, and it's got a, a link-up to supposedly the rest of the world 
um, but it's just the the other, the other side of the studio with Billy Dench and Barbara New sort of dressing up in different costumes <laughs> of the countries, and they're trying to find Australia for Emu, and they keep not being able to find Australia for Emu, and various uh, there's various sort of things along the way. Um, uh, uh, all throughout the series, they they parodied um, existing teleprograms, mm-hmm. which is another. Th- it's another nice nod to the slightly older viewers because they can see, you know, the satires and and they, they, there's a bit one of angels, there's one of the Bionic Man, and uh, there's there's um, they're of course the most famous one, which is probably more famous than EBC One is Doctor Emu, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, is the following season. Yeah. Uh, there's a Frankenstein send up. There's a Sherlock Holmes send up, and uh, all of which is fun. But um, there's there's also with this one um, a a bit where they zoom in on, you know, they 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 get some guests speaking. One one of which is they they look down this kind of uh, gramophone, and there's various people CSO coming through, leaving messages. Mm. There's one of Dick Emery. Uh, he just says, and a Merry Christmas to the rest of you, which looks like it was cribbed off a BBC trailer of some description. Yeah. But there is actually a purpose-built one by John Inman, mm. uh, who who materialises and tells a, Emu a joke, um, which Rod seems to be very shocked by. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> oh, look, there's a picture coming. <laughs> oh, hello. I've just been watching you. What are you doing here? Well, we were trying to get somebody on the electric back, which you see, John, and... Uh, can you tell Evie a joke or something? Cheer him up, because he always laughs at you. He's, you know, he's a bit depressed at the moment. Emu, here's a funny joke. There's two little boys in school, you see, and one of them puts his hand up and says, excuse me, miss, may I go to the loo? And she says, certainly not. You stay behind afterwards and fill up the ink wells. <laughs> oh! Uh, and it's a jolly, you know, the, 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 they all have a party at the end and there's a great song at the end, which is rather fun. <laughs> and um, it's got that... You know, going back, I was my first year in junior school at the time, and it's got the the the, the sort of tone of that um, party is very much kind of junior school, infant school, primary school party. You yeah. know, it's, it's it feels right, and it feels nice. It brought a smile to my face seeing it all again, yeah. and because um, I definitely saw it when it first televised. Because I remember there's a bit where Billy Dainty dresses up as Father Christmas. And for this season, there's what we call the baby emus, which quite how biologically that, that figures with emu, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> there are a lot of baby puppets, you know, kind of. And it just gives them an excuse to attack Billy Dainty and give Rod something else to do. <laughs> and, um, and then he dresses up as Father Christmas and pretends to kind of attack them. And then they, they put some mistletoe up and, uh, and he, oh, they want to kiss me. And then, and then they, they kind of grab, grab him and pull him in. She's always brewing Tea for the EBC I sell whatever I'm doing To make tea for the EBC I make it in the morning and in the afternoon I like to make it strong enough to melt a plastic spoon Cause oh. I'm always brewing Tea for the EBC whether it's cold or whether it's hot, as long as you put him on the pot. You put them in, I put them in, stir in the milk, is your one number two? I have to use the skewer, the spout, it always blocks. When I run out of tea bags, I use Uncle Alfred's socks, because I'm always growing. Tea for 
Uncle Albert Socks. What are you doing now? Sorry, I was going to say, I feel like I, I must have seen some of this era, um, or maybe maybe later than 76, but yeah. um, I, I know that, that I, I must have liked it enough that I was embarrassed by the 80s pink windmill stuff. I mean, mm. I was old, older anyway, but I must have... I knew enough to know that mm, this isn't what Ebu used to be like and, and, yeah. and this is a bit of a, a shame. Also, there was a, a boy at school who used to have a, an Ebu toy and he he used to go around pecking people and throwing the... Yeah. They're going pecky-wecky Ebu and throwing it up on the school roof. And I think eventually the <laughs> yeah. headmistress said to him, if you do that again, that the, the Ebu's... Staying there. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. I had an emu too, actually. I've, I've got a toy emu from about the same time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and indeed, um, Andrew Trowbridge, who is one our, our leader, as it were, from. Uh, um, I remember him bringing one uh, round yes. um, and including it in Some some part, part, yes. he, he He played the bagpipes. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but I definitely remember that bit with Billy Dainty and the and the baby emus. Mm. Um, the other noting thing for, for this season was um, the, there is Disco Duck played constantly in the background, <laughs> um, uh, which uh, of course was would have been in the charts when when about the time it had started. Um, and it's just nice to see everybody dress up and have fun and play all these different characters. And um, I, yeah, I, mean, I, I enjoy seeing it. Yes. Um, and yeah, I mean, you've got you've even got a sort of joke about you know it's, it's, they they show bits of the world and said I looked at this Hudson's Bay and then there's a joke about Hudson the the butler in upstairs downstairs mm. and I thought yeah that's I think I think that is definitely one aimed at the at the the grown ups because yeah. uh, you know I although I knew upstairs downstairs I'm not quite sure I would have kind of been au fait with the characters enough to know who Hudson was. That, that's Hudson's Bay. Look, look, there's Hudson's Bay up there in the Dominion of Canada. All of that's Hudson's Bay. How uh, Hudson could afford to buy that on his wages as a butler, I never know. But no, it's it's good fun. And I, I, I it made me realise I actually... They were an oddity. Um, they were sort of anti-social. They, they would have had an ASBO if they were around today. Yeah. But um, I, I did actually like, given the right vehicle, like you said, Pink Windmill was a bit crap. I mean, I, I, no disrespect to Carolee Scott, who played Grotbags, who I thought was a great character, but the, the, the script was a bit twee. And and it wasn't really what for me what emu should have been about. Sort of sta- all the um, stage school brats as well, wasn't it? Oh, weren't they other? There's somebody at the door and all that. I mean, the, the thing is, there is kids. There's, there's a few kids brought in, but they're all sort of guesting on the monitor and saying a joke, yeah. and then they're gone. Yeah. But the, uh, and, and the rest of the show is done by the, the grown-ups. I suppose the pink windmill stuff was very stagey, wasn't it? It was like if it, oh, very, if, it be, if, yeah. if it was a pantomime, you wouldn't think twice. But it was just. On TV, it, it wasn't. Um, I tend to think of, of of Emu as being more akin to something like a kids' version of, of Kenny Everett or something sort of whack, <laughs> wacky and you know, off, off the wall. Feathered uh, <laughs> Kenny Everett. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, I mean, uh, and um, I, I mean, you know, he, he was quite a dark sort of thing because you know they, they, he. Uh, um, there's very, you know, obviously the the Parkinson thing most famous, and uh, I just I still chuckle at Billy Connolly's comment. If he comes anywhere near me, I'll, I'll break his 
uh, it is Nick and you're Ah. <laughs> I think I think um, Emu on Parkinson or Emu on like on adult shows worked in a way that when they sort of dragged Orville onto sort of uh, oh. it, it, <clears throat> that, um, that that just kind of felt inappropriate or kind of a bit creepy. Yeah. Whereas Emu, because well, yes, I think it was, it was the the voice doing the voice and everything and the innocent thing. Whereas Emu was never innocent and he was, doesn't have a voice. To, to sort of, he is a physical no, comedian. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's, I, you know, you, you, looking at it again, I thought, Andrew Rothar was a very, very good comedy actor. Um, I, I know he was a bit bitter because it, the emu thing was so successful, it, it, it couldn't, that nobody was interested in um, seeing him on his own. And I suppose it did free him up to do there's a few sort of characters he plays where he hasn't got emu um but if you saw him on stage you know without emu you think blimey you know what's he gonna do with his arm <laughs> um and there's a few other things uh, they had a regular feature on ebc one called the searching beak of emu uh, where they they have a filmed bit where they go around to various uh, the schools and factories and things like that and they they sort of uh, do that bit and i've um I was very keen on the music for that because it was very, uh, as you know, I like my sort of obscure seventies music with um, that it come, came on on programs or was a test card or whatever. I've got CDs and CDs of it, and uh, it had a very groovy seventies theme uh, with one of those uh, right at the end, uh, one of those wee 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 uh, kind <laughs> of. Um, I don't know what it's called apart from a wee wee wee, <laughs> and um, it's like like. Um, uh, Tina Turner's uh, Nutbridge <laughs> High School, or whatever it's called, uh, with the wee wee wee, uh, and that sort of ends with the wee wee wee. So um, yeah, that, that's great, and um, yeah, he, he makes he makes me he still makes me smile. Um, I must admit that, and that's that's the main thing. I wasn't, I was thinking, mm, you know, I, I like the series, but are certain bits going to kind of make me cringe but I didn't really cringe yeah. at all mm. um, it was um, I have to say again Billy Dainty and Barbara New are fabulous um, old troopers you know um, Billy Dainty sadly died in 1986 uh, at the age of 50 something because uh, you know, his heart attack I think he was one of the again like um, Leonard Roster and someone like um uh, Harry H. Corbett. I think they were they were workaholics. They they kind of that generation kind of burnt themselves out a bit because they they just worked too hard. Um, and he did panto and he did loads and loads of stuff. And uh, Barbara New was still knocking around in the early noughties because she was in the Ali G movie uh, as Ali's Ali's gran. Um, so uh, and <laughs> the other thing, of course, is uh, I'm not the first person to have said this, but. Um, there is a sad irony in the fact that one of the regular features of EBC One is Rod going onto the roof uh, to look at the the weather, which of course we've got here, where the weather all together, what's going to do, and all that. And um, there is an exchange in this one where Billy, Billy Dage is going up a ladder, and 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 he said, oh, "Look, you go, up, I'll go up the ladder, and you you go up on the roof and look at the weather, and it could." And, and Rod saying, hang about, why am I doing that? And he goes, because well, you've got no head fight. <laughs> and of course, when you think about the poor fella, mm. 
fell off the roof and to his death and um and yeah you you kind of think no don't do that mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so they, they, although you know they, but it's comedy banter there's a, a sad irony to it that such a, mm. a sort of calamitously comical physically comical man actually had a, a physically calamitous mm. death I tell you what, I'll sort it all out. I'll go up the ladder and attend to my cable and you go up on the roof. Yeah. Hey, just a minute, I'm doing the broadcasting. Why can't I go up the ladder and look at the cables and you go on the roof? Because you have no head for heights. Just leave it to me, go up on the roof and leave everything to me. Yeah, I wonder where he would have gone uh, had, had he lived, I don't know. But I, I, I don't think he had a, the best of luck sometimes with... With some of the the, the the directions his his career went, so maybe, maybe he was he was still looking for. A, I, I'm glad EBC One hung around hung around for about four or five years because it was a it was a good show. It was fun. It was well written, and um, yeah, it's 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 nice to, nice to nice to be able to see it again. But uh, just trying to think of any other other things that uh, I mean, there was one episode i remember i've not seen it since but uh it, it, simple verbal humor that really was quite nice it, it, they said they did open emu versity mm-hmm. and uh they had rod and emu dressed in sort of mortarboards and things and they said um today we're going to teach you how to <laughs> how to make a a, a bonfire out of doors <laughs> and there's this pile of doors <laughs> 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 I, I, I've not I've not rewatched that one, but it's that's mm. yeah that's good kind of fun. But there you go, EBC One, December nineteen seventy six, uh, uh, nicely done, and um, it, it, it made me smile. That's a good uh, a good present. Thank you very much. Um, well, mine's a bit a bit different. It's probably one of the most recent. Well, the particular episode is probably the most one of the most recent that we've ever done on around the archives. Um, it comes from Christmas 2018. Blimey. Uh, That's yes. only two years ago, folks. Yes, but the the show itself is 35 years old, or has been going for 35 <laughs> years. So uh, it, it does fall into a Covent series, and yet a series that's been running for a very long time. And I'm picking the Christmas 2018 episode of Neighbours. Um, oh! That um, now, as you as you did before, I'll give you a little bit of a background. Yes. I mean, like lots of people did, I watched it when I was at school because it goes back to the sort of the late eighties and when when all the kids my age were watching it. So I went, I watched all the way through the sort of Kylie and Jason era and all the people like Guy Pearce and who went on to be be famous. Um, but when I got to university, I didn't have uh, very good. TV reception. So we're talking. Well, we're talking about '92, probably when I started to, to drift from it. But I, I'm, I think for a long time we were 18 months behind. So uh, when, when when we talk about Neighbours um, in the UK and we talk about it in, in Australia, there is quite a serious sort of um, misalignment. Hello, round the archives, listeners. It's me, Cuthbert. I am Paul the Shyetti's trusty robot friend, and he has asked me to add a little note at this point in the article. 
Paul says that although we used to be 18 months behind on Neighbors in the 80s and 90s, by the 2010s we were airing episodes on the same day as they are aired in Australia. That only changed earlier this year due to the COVID pandemic when Channel 5 got scared that they might run out of episodes and delayed broadcast. However, Neighbours kept on filming, and Australia kept on screening episodes, so the UK is now three to four weeks behind. Something that is making UK Neighbours fans pretty cross, because the networks between UK and Australian fan groups rely on being at the same point in the show for their jolly conversations. Never mind. Hey, hopefully that will all be sorted out in 2021. Anyway, it's been lovely to speak to you around the archives, people. Let's now return to the article. I, I guess it's partly why it was so popular when Kylie was in the show. Because she was successful, she was also doing her music because she was 18 months ahead of what we were seeing. So yeah. she was known for the TV, but her music career was already starting. I remember that so well when it first just... And Jason Donovan was equally as big as her yeah. to start with. Yeah, well, um, he certainly was. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he still he still does musicals and things. So, it's, so it was definitely a good sort of starting point for him. But anyway, so I didn't watch for many years. I think in the noughties, maybe uh, it happened to be showing on a, on UK Gold or one of those sorts of channels that I had, and it just happened to be on around breakfast time. So I did watch some of the sort of noughties episodes for uh, and, and saw that actually yes, there were there was lots of the sort because with soap operas, the plots I like aren't the Kylie and Jason type Char- Scott and Charlene ones. It, it's the you know the people doing crooked deals yeah. or murders or whatever that uh, uh, that, that I particularly enjoy, and um, and I could see that actually um, because the, the character of Paul Robinson who was in it at the start he he had left for a fair few years, but um, then came back in the early noughties and has been with it ever since. And he tends to be one of those. Um, characters that that i i so love in soaps where you you hate him one minute but you you also love him at other yeah. times because you see he's nicely rounded you know, you know, yeah yeah um and and there were plots involving him and planes uh, uh, people characters getting killed off on plane explosions and how bishop getting washed out to sea and then turning up again a few years later um having lost his memory um all those sorts of things made me think i wish i'd seen this at the time um but then what actually brought me back to it and and i was sort of checking it's around sort of 2012 um i started to notice when uh, one or two actresses from prisoner one of my my other favorite australian shows that they were sort of doing the odd cameos and I think I, I watched because one of the, the actresses was um, doing a, playing a doctor for a few weeks, so I, I, I watched then. But then one of the really important um, actresses, um, Colette Mann, who played Doreen Burns in, like, well, right at the start of Prisoner, and for about three or four years, um, she was coming in as a regular character. And I thought, oh, well, this will just be for a few months. And she's still with it, like, eight years later so yeah. it's not the only reason I care but but you know something like that draws you in and then you 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 get hooked um and the the one great thing I mean there's been psychopaths and and um, twin twin characters coming back from the dead or you you know all sorts of the sort of soap plots that I love in in this last eight, eight years but the the producer 
of the show really knows his stuff when it comes to uh, bringing back old characters, yeah. uh, either for, for guest slots or, I mean, um, uh, about a year or so, I think it was when it was the 35th anniversary, they, um, th- they had um, all of Paul Robinson's wives coming back for, ah. for a plot. Uh, he was about to get married to another character, uh, uh, his girlfriend, and all of the other wives came back together to try and persuade her not to do it. And, and so it was, to me, as a Doctor Who fan, it was like, like having all the Doctors It was back. a multiple Doctor uh, story. Multiple yeah, it was. Paul <laughs> Robinson's wife story. Wife story. <laughs> and, and it was like, and, and because he's been in the show, it was people from, you know, people from my era, if, if I'm thinking about, you know, there was one of his wives, Gail, she came back and then... Oh, he was mar- Yeah, he was married to... Um, one of a twin, and they came back, and 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 uh, it was just sort of I was in it, I was in TV heaven. It was just sort yeah. of, uh, but also characters like there was a character called Clive who was a doctor, uh, a very sort of quirky character. He's been back on and off for a few years now. Um, pl- uh, plain Jane Superbrain, who was one of that <laughs> sort of era of Kylie and Jason or, or Scott and Charlene. Um, who was Mrs. Mangle's granddaughter. She came back to do a couple of guest slots, and as of 2020, she's actually back in the cast, as is Clive, as a, you know, in the title sequence, so, so a proper cast member again. So mm-hmm. it, it, all those sorts of things you think, you know, with Doctor Who, oh, it would be nice to have, you know, Joe Grant in it, in it, not just for one story, but have a, have a back, or, ha, or have Ace turn up, or, and, and you know, they yeah. kind of toy with it, but they... They, they've never, if anything, they did it more with the Sarah Jane Adventures um, yeah. show and had like the Brigadier turn up stuff that would have worked just as well in the in the proper show. Um, whereas Neighbours just kind of like, well, this is this is what we'll do. Previously, I think we should put on a Christmas concert on Christmas night. Surprise! Oh. We can't have a concert without someone to lead the carol. Who can do it? Hand it over. You know, you're not supposed to have tarot cards. I can't believe Dad's been gone 25 years already. You know I never rat on your dad and uncle. Your whole informant dead. You gonna tell Therese? She's pretty stressed out. You know Mannix. You got rid of him. Who left you out in the bush like this? Paul Robinson. What do you want? You help me with Leo and no one finds out who you're a murderer. So... With that, that's that being my background, the reason I picked this Christmas episode was well, there's a number of actors in it that were already sort of um, Jane um, was in it, uh, although this was one of her guest slots before she came back. Clive was in it. Um, now that there's a character, there's Carl and Susan. Susan is a, they've been in the show about 25 years, and Susan's played by a former prisoner actress. Um, she's one of my my favourites, but her sister had come in to the plot at this point, and she was played by an actress called Deborah Lawrence, who was in Prisoner, but also was uh, she played Pippa? I think she was the, the second of a generation of Pippa in Home in, in Home and Away. Um, yeah. so, so you've got all these lovely familiar faces. Um, I mean, that's the, the good the good thing about uh, Aussie shows is is that. Uh, um, a lot of a lot of the actors come back round again, but it's like see, it, it's not like having a situation where oh they're on the t- TV all the time, where you you get people you know TV shows these days you get sick of of, of seeing the same faces all the time. This is a bit more of a, a rare treat, um, so so it was, it was nice to to see them. But the actual Christmas plot it, it involves all the you have all the Christmas 
concert going on, and it continues the tradition. I don't think Charlene ever did singing in Neighbours, but they have had a number of people over the years who have kind of used Neighbours as a bit of um, uh, a, a, a platform for their singing, or it's been yeah. brought into the plotline. Uh, that there was Natalie Ambruglia who was in the show, but uh, uh, she went on to to be a, a quite famous singer uh, in the 90s and noughties. That's and, right, yeah. Um, I, I don't know that she ever sung, but um, Delta Goodrum, who is a, a singer more from the sort of noughties, I believe that she did possibly do singing as part of her character, but because uh, um, I wasn't really watching that, I might be wrong. But, but anyway, uh, there is a singer in it at the moment who's playing a character and, and her character does sing um, and, and so she's sort of doing the, the Christmas um, the, the Christmas singing at this concert and um, there's also it's a few nice sort of things where characters are reflecting back to other characters who have perhaps passed on quite recently Merry Christmas Annie Sue's oh. Sweetheart, same to you. Merry Christmas. I hope those lemons aren't my present. Uh, no, apparently they're good for vocal cords. Oh, well, move over, Mariah Carey. Do I get a hug as well? Oh, come on. Merry Christmas, darling. With <laughs> some honey, apparently they're good for stress too. Yeah. <laughs> Honeybee. That could be your stage name. So you've got all this sort of happy Christmassy thing, but then you've got this other subplot involving Paul Robinson, where... Uh, and and I, I've slightly forgotten the context, but I think he can't remember whether he, he has killed somebody or if there's a body out in the bush somewhere and, and he gets he starts to uh, feel guilty that he may have done something and kind of uh, forgotten whether it was something he really did or whether he imagined it when he was unwell. And, um, uh, and, and at this point, Jane has come back into the show, but and they're actually... That their characters are sort of, you know, because they knew each other years ago, they've got a sort of possible romantic plot developing, and I think that's that tweaks sort of Paul's conscience. So he's been given by Jane a bauble, like a bauble you put on a Christmas yeah. tree, and and she starts saying, oh, you know. Your, your father, Jim, he would have... Jim Robinson, he would have been so proud of you because Jim Robinson had died 25 years before and the actor, Alan Dale, had gone gone off to America and he's been on all sorts of things from Lost to Ugly Betty and yeah. um, lo- lots and lots of shows. So his his sort of career in America sort of went... But obviously in the series, he he died of a, a heart attack in about 1993. Yeah. Um, and I think with her with Jane's character saying this to... to, to uh, to Paul, he starts to get a prick of conscience, and um, so whilst all his concert's going on, he gets in his car and he drives out to the bush. He wants to try and confirm to himself whether what he thinks happened happened, or whether it's just. His. And of course, he he goes late at night, and uh, I think something runs out in front of his car, and he he bashes into a, a tree and hits his head, and then this is the most. I mean, at the time, I was just, I was this yeah. was just as exciting as the Christmas Doctor Who. I think actually that year, this I mean, we were only talking of it like a twenty-five minute episode. Um, I think this was probably much more exciting to me than that that year's Christmas special, yeah. whatever it was. In, in I can't even remember whether he had a Christmas special uh, that year. Well, was Jodie? Well, I think Jodie had one that year. No, it might have been a New Year. It certainly, was, it was certainly more exciting than that. Yeah, than that I mean. 
and I think this was actually shown on Christmas Day, so it was, it took the place of the, it might have been one of the first years they didn't have a Doctor Who on Christmas Day. Uh, they might have had it, sort of, if they had it, it was later on. And, um, yeah, so I was, I was super excited. So, so he bangs his head, and then in the bauble, he sees his father, his, the face of his father saying to him, you know, criticising him, but also saying, you need to do this, you need to... Uh, and Alan Dale... Critical bubble. <laughs> yeah, critical bubble. I mean, it's total uh, wonderful nonsense. And, uh, and of course, I, I loved it. Dad, 25 years and you still haven't learned. Oh, God, am I? Am I? No, you're not dead. Uh, what? What then? I mean, how, how are you here? You know, it's... Uh, Oh God, it's good to see you, Dad. I missed you so much. I tried to teach you right from wrong, son. But no, you always had a mind of your own. Oh, Dad, I know it looks bad. You killed a man once before. But I was sick then. I'd... I had a brain tumor. What's your excuse this time? Tossing your enemies into the bush, covering your tracks. I didn't do this for me, Dad. I did this for my own son, Leo. That's right, you've never met him. Or his brother, David. They're good kids. Really good kids. And, and Alan Dale had come back to record these these little bits. As a ball and, ball. And, and, and a face in a ball. And I think he had been to the studio because I think he's sort of still friends with Stefan Dennis, who plays Paul Robinson. So there was photos of him back sort of back on the set. And the, because I think he left on slightly bad terms. I think um, that there was sort of money problems and issues yeah. at the, back at the time. So I don't think he left. Um, I think it's one of those things when they sort of say, well, if you don't agree with us, we're, we're acting your character. So I don't think he left on happiest terms. But 25 years later, it's, you know, completely different people working on the show. And um, so, yeah, so he came... And there was one little scene where you kind of seem superimposed over as well. Um, I think Paul goes... To, when, when this scene ends, he goes and checks where this ground was to see if there is a body. And, you, and in the headlights, you see... Or he thinks he sees his father... And they've obviously, but I think they've CGI'd that over. Um, but I, it was partly it's one of those things where you sort of appreciate the fact that, that he, he came back to just to do something ridiculous like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, another similarity between Neighbours and Doctor Who, particularly the, the Christmas or New Year specials, is that um, this particular 2018 um, episode ends with like. Um, little clues or little hints to what's coming up in the following year in the same way as it tends to be the point because uh, Doctor Who Christmas specials tend to stand alone they're not always linked they, they might be they might be a, a bit of a gap between the next season or they might be a prelude to the new season but you usually get a few clips from coming next year or coming next season and and this, and this was happened this happened at the end of this neighbors episode as well you've got lots of sort of little things sort of exciting bits or you know, an explosion or, or a character or people crying and think oh what's all this about in the same way as you might with the doctor who episode so all very all very exciting and and uh yeah, uh, uh, I, I think um, because you know, sort of, I'm not a very Christmassy person, and Doctor Who has often in the last 15 years been the exciting thing I'm looking forward to on Christmas Day or around that time. Uh, and that was the first year it wasn't going to be on. Um, Neighbours really 
yeah, filled that gap that year, and um, that's why I'm selecting it as my. Uh, do, do you present. think why? I mean, uh, quite, quite apart from the, the marvelous conceit of the ball ball, do you think <laughs> a lack of Doctor Who that year was what helped draw you to um, the Neighbours episode? Um, well, I think it was. You know, the to have a a, a character that was dead on the show being you, you know you, you it makes you sort of oh it's not just a character that's gone away and is coming back it's like okay so how are they going to do that then how's how's jim going to turn up then and uh, uh it appeals to my sort of yeah okay okay right this, this, it's up there with home and away uh nicole dick dixon didn't she appear in a fridge or something yes or? that's right yeah. yeah uh it's up there with those sorts of weird ways of bringing back characters yeah. um and and uh um, I mean, we've still not got to the stage where um, we've had Kylie or, or Jason back on the show, although they yeah. often talk of, uh, about their time. They don't, they're not embarrassed about their time. Yeah. Um, and funnily enough, uh, uh, Jason Donovan was back on set in the last year or so because his daughter plays um, uh, Paul Robinson's uh granddaughter oh, uh, wow. so, so he came to see her on set before covid and uh so you know he he, he uh one i think one day it'll happen i mean they both appeared i think it, i can't remember if it was the 30th anniversary it might be in the 30th anniversary they both appeared on um you know talk on on the documentary talking about it and now you've got jane back in there she said uh, annie jones the actress has said i'm determined to get mike who is guy pierce's character and scott and charlene all back on and now she's there on the show it, it's sort of you know it's, it's it's got to happen it's got to happen anyway listeners um we better go uh thank you nick for your choice my pleasure it's been it, it was a lovely thing i thought uh, I, I must admit when i first when we were first proposing it i thought oh my god what am i gonna do um <laughs> and i i almost did an episode of magpie which i, I had one of these look back uh discs and i realized i must have given it away um so uh but i thought ah yeah we'll leave we'll leave you yeah <laughs> cool. well Hopefully we'll be back in twenty in twenty twenty one with uh, uh, and, and, and we've we've got a few things. We, actually, we should do like a uh, uh, like they do at the end of the the neighbors episode, like flash. What's coming up in twenty twenty one? Really kind of, it kind of Nick, depends Paul, on Nick Paul. Nick Paul. Yes, space nineteen ninety nine. This year. This year. Yeah, I have I, I have things I want to do. I've got a list. Okie dokie. Um, uh, happy Christmas and Happy New and Year. Happy to Christmas you. to you too, dear boy. <laughs> yes, and to you out there <laughs> in Man the Archives land. They said to bring you lots of talking balls. <laughs> Christmas edition of Full House. And at 10 to 6, no place like home. Keep your hands off my Millicent. Uh, no, the turkey. Oh. I saw you. I was only feeding her. But then you leered at her, saying, I wish you a Merry Christmas and showed her a sharp knife. Just part of the lineup for Boxing Day on BBC One.
Many thanks to Paul and Nick for that. Yes, very interesting. I do remember EBC One. Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting, its approach to programmes. Because yeah. I think, thinking about it, Round the Archives has been slightly influenced by EBC One. Okay. Yeah. I did notice on some episodes that they've got a load of film and videotape canisters in the background of the set, and I do mm -hmm. wonder what was on them. <laughs> if anything. If anything. Yeah. But now, the final article. Mm -hmm. And we'll say our goodbyes at the end. Yes. But you and me will take a look at... No Place Like Home. Good afternoon, Lisa. Good afternoon, Andrew. So our final article mm -hmm. of this year. Yes. And is there no place like home? There is no place like home, yes. So do you remember this series? I, I do remember it. It's, it's odd because I have often commented that my um, family watched a lot of ITV. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure I saw this at the time. Mm. Okay. So, Did you actually remember the plots? I remember... No, not individual episodes. I remember... The premise. And the characters. And the characters. Yeah. And the fact it's got Martin Clunes in and yeah. uh, William Gaunt. I think probably because they're both in Doctor Who as well. Yeah. Also, of course, you've got Dee Sadler and Daniel Hill in yep. it as well. But more Clunes and um, William Gaunt, I think. Yeah. I mean, it is a show that's really, really good for playing the connections game, isn't yes. it? Yes. You know, because yes. you say you've got William Gaunt of... You know, now look, Sergeant Cork fame. <laughs> but even even John Watkins, the writer's got yeah. got quite a few connections. I was just looking yeah. at his list, and I'd utterly forgotten that he wrote that really good episode of Shadows, mm -hmm. the one in the in the railway station. Yes, and he did also write for um, the Tomorrow People. Oh right, okay, and. And though it's not the best Tomorrow People one in the world, I, mm -hmm. I'm just interested that he's got this foot mostly in comedy, but mm -hmm. he, he's quite capable of writing a decent, sure. decent serious thing, yeah. thing as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, we should do Shadows at, at some point, shouldn't we? Yes, so maybe we should go back to that episode next year. But yeah, Terry and June, Robin's Nest, uh, Bless This House, uh, Romany Jones... Don't drink the water. Gosh, <laughs> all the classics. Yeah, but but no place like home is is like his main output, I guess. Because mm -hmm. there's forty two episodes yep. of it. Should say that IMDb is slightly confusing over which episodes are shown which. But yes. on BritBox, we managed to find two. Yes, they've what? got a whole Christmas sort of um, category Section. at the moment, yes. and the two so called christmas specials for no no place like home one of which is quite christmasy the other which is not christmasy at all yeah are listed for so we've got 1984 mm -hmm. arthur sort of wants to get away from yeah sort of christmas sort of spending money and yes. all, all that so he's a bit he's a bit scroogey in that one yeah and in the 1987 one he gets involved with a, a supermarket raid and mm -hmm. becomes a bit of a hero briefly yeah. i did actually write quite a few Quite a few notes for this. Because okay. you've got a huge cast, haven't yes. you? It's amazing how many 
regulars there are on screen yeah. in some yeah. some scenes. It's it's almost feels like it's sort of doing a bit of a dad's army, and yeah. it's a bit of a gang show, isn't mm-hmm. it? Because you've got Arthur and Beryl, and a lot of the kids regenerate. Well, one of one of the kids regenerates. One gets a new husband. Yeah, because uh, Martin Clunes is Nigel in the first three series, yeah. and then he turns into Andrew Charlson in yeah. in four and five. Because Martin Clunes becomes yeah bigger than the show, I guess. Yeah. But Vera regenerates from yes. next door. I'm not sure that's. I think I prefer the first Vera because yeah, she's cause... she's better yeah marcia warren and it is yeah. quite a strange performance vera because she'll yeah. come in and be, be a bit odd yes i always used to like when vera came around that was one <laughs> of the good bits yeah because she's got loads of animals that you never see yeah because mm-hmm. in the 1984 christmas special she's got a turkey millicent yes she won't let them kill to yeah. for christmas dinner and then you've got trevor played by tv's My- michael charville martin yes that's what you have to say because it was always yeah. on his pantomime mm-hmm. posters Mm-hmm. He, he was a he was a pantomime dame a lot. Yes, I, I've seen some very good uh, posters. Yeah, but um, usually he will come around to see Arthur to drink sherry, won't yes. he? And and mm-hmm. in the two we watched, disappointingly, there were no sherry scenes. There were no sherry scenes. There was a mention of it, yeah, because it was eight o'clock in the morning. It was a trifle early. He yeah. didn't didn't get his he didn't get his sherry at all. Their dogs called Wuffles as well. Yes, yeah, that's a good name for a, for a dog. But yeah, Arthur wants wants to get away from it all. I think for mm-hmm. for Christmas, they they go off to a hotel, don't they? Yes, a, a really sort of unattended hotel. Yes, uh, which has got a deaf waiter mm-hmm. who I, actually is the bit that made me laugh the most. Yeah, I don't know whether you should laugh at him, but possibly not. But who you said it was Decider Drace from yes, Full Circle? Leonard McGuire. Okay. Yes. Also, there is James Grout. Yes, who's got his niece with yes. him who doesn't look that much it doesn't look that much younger than him she sees a bit of stuff all right is that, is that what it is yeah and there's this trio sort of playing on the violin or something they mm-hmm. play an april showers badly yeah. there's also a line which did make me laugh about um a new strain of virus that's going around that's mm-hmm. why nobody's basically gone to the hotel for christmas mm-hmm. they're all staying at home yes that's a bit weird isn't it, it? is a little yeah. bit yes i didn't know yeah and it's all fairly standard sitcom stuff because mm-hmm. then they want to go back home mm-hmm. where there's a big party going on mm-hmm. and then they run out of petrol yeah. and they got to walk all the way home. Mm-hmm. I d- did quite like the bit where William Gaunt says, um, follow that star in the east yeah. to get home. And I don't know if you know your astronomy that well, but um, it's not going to be the star of Bethlehem. It's probably going to be Venus. Yes. So, But yeah, at, at home, Trevor's on the on the on the malt whiskey isn't he, he I, is. I couldn't quite work out which one it was because no. that, that sort of thing always interests me well they, they, he had it with the label away didn't he that's yeah. why you have to make a label up well no let, i mean you've got rice krispies on display well, yeah, haven't there you? Is that, yeah. and in yeah. the later episode you've got a good load of cornflakes <laughs> so i don't see why you can't can't advertise whiskey and in the end trevor and arthur end up in bed together well on bed don't mm-hmm. they because they've still got their clothes on yes uh, and it did make me think it was a bit sort of uh morkman wisey yeah. yeah yeah but they've, they've got quite a good sort of back and forth relationship yes and and michael charvel martin's quite good at drunk acting isn't he, is. he? yeah because he's wor- worried about what the neighbors are going to say and then <laughs> Then William Gaunt points out that he is the neighbours, so yes. it doesn't doesn't really matter. No. But yeah, it's it's quite fun. It's it's not overly Christmassy, and no. it is a fairly standard sort of sitcommy plot, I, yes. I guess you could say. Um, but didn't think it was 
was was too bad did you no, no, yeah. it was it was yeah i mean the schedule for that day frankly this is boxing day 1984 and i mm-hmm. said well we put the sort of trailer up for it mm-hmm. and then i was having to cut out a load of faff basically like, <laughs> like gymnastics and, and boring films so i think people are complaining about the christmas schedule this year yes but to be honest 1984's boxing day one isn't brilliant no you've got junior kickstart mm-hmm. kung fu flight of the phoenix olympic gymnastics final score Bob's Christmas Full House, <laughs> No Place Like Home, and Escape to Victory, and Dallas. Yeah. Oh, and Miss Marple, The Body in the Library, Part One. So, uh, oh, and Dave Allen, that's okay. Mm. And uh, Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing really jumps out at me from no, that schedule. No, there's nothing particularly exciting there. And I think that's where something like No Place Like Home, uh, it, it's very much... It it fills the time. Mm. It's not. It's got no great pretensions to greatness as as such. Yeah. But it presents you with a family you don't mind spending time with. No. You know, there's there's nobody really objectionable. No, Although no. Daniel Hill, I thought was 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 quite sort of. I was quite surprised that he, he's a bit sort of Larry, isn't yes. he? Yes. Yeah. You're not used to seeing him in that kind of part. Have, have you ever seen him in um, Waiting for God? Yes. He's yeah. not a very nice character in that either. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I'm sure he's absolutely lovely in real life. Well, I'm sure he is. <laughs> but yeah, not 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 bad. Then we, we'll jump on to 1987. Yes. Where, yeah, there's no, there's nothing Christmassy at no, all, is it, there? It just feels like a normal episode that's been dropped down on whichever day it was on over Christmas. Yeah. As I said, IMDb seems to think it was shown in October. Yes. Uh, but Genome... There's no R against it in genome. No, so we're assuming it's not a repeat. Yeah, I mean, there is an R against a lower low. All right. For, for that night. Uh-huh. The description is, Arthur becomes a local hero after foiling a supermarket raid. Mm-hmm. What do you think of this one, then? Better or...? or... Uh, I think this one's probably not quite so good. Yeah. Because you haven't got as many as the family in it. No. You've got new characters in it, because obviously we, we're, we're now on to sort of um, fifth season. Yeah. So you've... Daniel Hill's characters left. You got the change of actor for um, Nigel, and one of the sons you don't see at all. Yeah, the other son. Even John Watkins has regenerated yes. into John E. Watkins, and it's spelled differently as well, isn't it? J O H N. Yes, he's suddenly got an H in his name. Yeah, so, so he's got an ex- extra couple of points in Scrabble for his name. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, you got the change in the actress playing Vera. Now, I don't think I saw this series because I only ever remember Marcia Warren. Mm as Vera and I think she is better this actress instead of doing it her own way she seems to be trying to do it as an impression of Marcia Warren yeah I'm not entirely sure it works I mean bread sort of does this as well yeah. bread regenerates a few yeah. few characters as well but they do it in their own way they don't sort of do an impression of the previous actor okay so but yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a bit more complicated the plot. I think uh, interesting. You get a bit of sort of background um, into Beryl mm-hmm. in that she was good at hockey at school and a former head girl. Yes, I mean we we have to say this is relentlessly middle class, isn't yes. it? This, this 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 whole setup. You don't really get working class sitcoms. I mean, you have had working class sitcoms because of course Stepchild and Son is working yeah. class and on the buses. 
And but for for the BBC with family sitcoms, I don't really think you get working class sitcom until bread comes along. Yeah, but yeah, interesting that he's written for Romy Lee Jones. So mm. you know. Um, swings and roundabouts, I guess. Yes. But it all starts off, um, there was a raid at the supermarket and mm-hmm. £20,000 was stolen. Well, Arthur really sort of got in the way, didn't he? Yes. Because he's, yeah. he's made in the papers to be a big hero, isn't yeah. he? But it's not really quite like that. No. He sort of accidentally sort of hit mm-hmm. one with his car or something, yes. wasn't it? And, mm-hmm. and then one ran off. Um, he's bought a whole load of newspapers home. Yes. <laughs> which I guess you'd probably do. Yeah because he's he's quite sort of proud of himself he for is. having yeah. having done this and he's going to get a, an award and presentation though mm-hmm. so he's a little disappointed when it, it turns out to be a grocery voucher for 20 quid yes do you think that's a little mean a little yes i could have done a hundred yeah but later on he finds five thousand yes. pounds in a bundle that yes. has been missed or and something it's ended ended up in a box in a box it? that he put his sherry in that he bought but yeah. then you get this usual um dilemma thing that forms a lot of these kind of sitcoms of do you keep the money or do you give it back yeah. and then you get the thing of he decides to give it back and he's how does he give it back because he's had it for two days so how does he explain it yeah because you've got Anthony the accountant now, yes. haven't you? Who's actually played by the an actor who will go on to be in um, Waiting for God. Oh, right, okay. It's Tom's son in it. So. Oh, right, okay. I wondered where I recognised him from. Yeah. He had one of those faces. Who's this? Andrew Terrell. Yes. Yeah, okay, fair yeah. enough. He, he's quite an odd character. Yes, yeah. he yeah. doesn't quite finish ever finish his sentences, does he? Yeah, because so. he's, he's an accountant and one of his clients has been claiming for a, a one-armed, one-armed bandit, bandit yeah. as a dependent relative or mm-hmm. something <laughs> I quite like that. It's just the sheer strangeness of it. But yeah, Arthur's sort of stringing everybody along about yeah. whether he will give him the money or not. Or keep it, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah. or keep it, because he goes in the bath with it mm-hmm. and sort of rests his head on it. That could have ended badly, <laughs> yes. couldn't it? Imagine me, you know, with a load of money on the, up me up me neck. But yeah, m- meanwhile, they've been the ladies have been doing sponsored knitting, haven't yes. they? And later on, you found out that that Vera's made an incredibly long multicoloured scarf, yes. which ends up around the neck of TV's Michael Charvel Martin. It does, yeah. which, which is being pulled on by the dog, I think. Yeah, out of out of frame. Out of shot. Yeah, it's a very long scarf to have got just for that one joke. Yeah. So I don't know where it came from, but it's it, it's not a Tom Baker scarf. No, it's it is one a, colours, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's a, it seems to be specially made, but but yeah. So then they've got the vicar's wife round, haven't mm-hmm. they? You know that that's pure Terry and June, isn't it? Yes. Getting the vicar's wife yes. in. I don't think we in ever in my life I've had the vicar's wife in. <laughs> I could I, no, I, I couldn't spot a vicar's wife. No, so. but yeah, or the moral dilemma. But Arthur then hands her fi- the five thousand pound for her mm-hmm. church appeal. Yeah, and she's quite happy to take it at first, isn't she? Mm-hmm. But eventually, they they sort of uh, sort things out. But then he's got to get the problem of giving them the money back. Yes. Because like, he's, he's, he's sort of held on to it for a few days. Yeah. And how do you do it? So he and Anthony sort of sneak into the shop they to don't try and. sneak into the shop. Well, they go into the shop and. And try and sneak around. Yeah, and stick it in a box or something. Mm-hmm. I did like the line he had to say, um, I've already got one, but I'd like a bigger one. Yes. <laughs> is referring to his box of course mm-hmm. but then Anthony ends up being detained by the detectives as yeah, he as he leaves as he leaves the premises 
Um, they don't let him get far, do they? No. I suppose because there's a camera in the way, so he can't escape. Probably. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah, it's pretty standard. Yeah. Standard stuff. Mm-hmm. But should you always crowbar Christmas into a Christmas special? I think you can get fed up of it. Yeah, I can. I can understand it, and I suppose there's only so many Christmas plots you can do. Yeah. Before you sort of run out yeah. especially in sitcom because there's only so many different sort of permutations and so many of these shows i think work through the the repetition of the characters and yeah. the familiarity of the situation mm-hmm. and especially on in in a weird christmas like we're going to experience this year yeah. i think mm-hmm. a bit of stability doesn't hurt does no. it no no so, yeah, it fulfills a, a slightly different function to mm-hmm. maybe your, your classic Christmas episodes, but not, not necessarily the worse for that. No. So, so no. yeah, I, I quite enjoyed uh, just doing those again. I mean, it's, it's not a show I'd, I'd necessarily sit down and do a sort of binge of. Well, it's, it's quite hard to get hold yeah. of now. But the fact that the just these two episodes are available, I went, oh, that's, that's, that's quite interesting, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind looking at them again. <laughs> so, so I'm glad we, we chose them. But, yeah, you enjoy them? Yes. Yeah. It was nice to, to revisit that world. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, it's, it's quite a sort of cosy one, isn't yeah. it? Even if, you know, the characters are a bit old and And, and weirdly, because we're talking 84 to 87, mm-hmm. in my head, 87's quite recent, <laughs> but 84's a long time ago. Yeah. And do you know why that is? Because I first got my video recorder in 1987. All right. Okay. So everything post-1987 feels recent. Okay. <laughs> and everything pre-1987 is ancient history to me. Okay. In 1984, I was still audio recording, you know. Gosh, okay. So there you go. But there we go. So that's uh, that's us done and dusted. Mm-hmm. And yes, there is no no place like home on the around wow. the archive sofa at the moment. Yes. I think. So we will say thank you to everyone for helping mm-hmm. this year. Yes, thank you for listening. Yes, I think everybody's done some fantastic work this year. Yes, um, and it has been under difficult circumstances. Yes, so. very strange year this year. So we do appreciate all the help we've had, all the listeners we've had, and, mm-hmm. and yes, we'll just say to you, uh, Happy Christmas yes, from happy everybody Christmas at Rain the Archives. Yes, let's hope twenty twenty one turns out to be a better year. Okay, Happy Christmas then. Happy Christmas. Merry Christmas. Peace on earth. <laughs> What's that? Your runny turkey, Trevor. Oh no. Oh god. Oh Christmas. <laughs>
The scripts for No Place Like Home were by John Watkins. And the producer was Robin Nash. it for another week from the studios of EBC. Uh, but Rod and Emu and the gang will no doubt be back at the same time next week. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to come into the BBC, but I was taking a shortcut. So I'm going to bingo. Goodbye. Goodbye, viewers. <laughs> I'm so sorry about that. Excuse me. Speak. Uh, oh, yes, sir. Uh, no, sir, I didn't invite her in. No, I think she's escaped from somewhere. <laughs>